Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Kinky Conversations podcast, where consent is king, pleasure is queen, and exploration of sexual expression is the name of the game. And now for your host, the delicious Zachary Phillips. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Miss Capriya Knox, a 28-year-old licensed hypnotherapist who's into cinema, art, and LARP. She discusses her experience as a femdom in a 24-7 dom-sub relationship, the goal of total power exchange, the dom persona, private versus public play, and conflict resolution within their dynamic. We dive deep into her use of hypnosis within the context of BDSM, covering how, why, the ethics, and aftercare. We also touch upon amnesia play, no-touch orgasms, subspace, and rack. This was an absolutely fascinating conversation. She allows us access to a very niche, but very intriguing aspect of the kinky community. I know you're going to get a lot from this one. But just before we get into the episode, I just want to let you know I'll be reading a short story from the book Kink, Volume 1, at the end of the episode. But without further ado, enjoy. You messaged me saying, if I'm interested in talking about erotic hypnosis, uh, long-term conditioning, uh, fear play, or humiliation play, I'm interested in talking about all of those things. Um, (laughs) Let's let's. All the good stuff. So yeah, um, maybe maybe um, bring it from the top, and we can um, see where we go. And I'll maybe the conversation will go in different areas. But um, I'm I'm super keen to to go down any of those paths. But maybe maybe we can sort of you can give me a little bit of an introduction with what you do, um, yeah, and then I can absolutely. dig in. What do you think? Okay. Um, so first of all, hi, I'm Capriya, um, and I am. A- <laughs> And I'm a licensed hypnotist. I have been in the kinky community here in Germany for about 10 years now. And um, I've always been fascinated with power exchange and 24-7 slave training and submissive training. Yeah. There's so lots to unpack. Let's... <laughs> so, so is that like your, your, like your full-time or like your income stream? is operating oh, no. from that. No, no. Um, so for me, this is my hobby. My real-time job is um, adjacent to that. Um, however, I'm only using hypnosis in recreational sense. I do have a background in psychology. However, I am um, currently working and research. Okay. So I've looked into to hypnosis a little bit, and I think – maybe there's a lot of misconceptions that you can unpack because, you know, people hear hypnosis and it's like this sort of stage hypnosis thing comes to mind. Mm. And then you look into it a little bit further and it's not that, um, or at least that's, that's my opinion of it. Um, can you sort of break down what your, your take on hypnosis is and how you use it? Absolutely. So first of all, I think a lot of people just have this pop cultural image of hypnosis where it's like this, idea of losing control completely and a person being the authority and taking charge and changing you in a you know just one second into a drooling mess um a lot of people in the hypno scene 
um, watched Jungle Book and were super interested <laughs> in the snake Ka and her yes. spiral eyes. And I think that's what comes up for a lot of people when they think about hypnosis. So for me, as a very sciencey person, it's completely different, of course. I think of hypnosis as a way to utilize a certain brainwave, um, which we can call trance. And the trance state is just a very natural state we all know. And hypnosis just takes that and heightens it and deepens the experience. So something we all know, for example, is like, just drifting off, um, especially when we look out of the window or we ride a train and then we suddenly wake up from this moment of, you know, being distracted and we realize like, oh, I completely forgot about the time. Um, or something like working in hyper-focus, you know, and working through your break because you're so deeply immersed <laughs> into your Excel uh, work. Um, yeah, those are all trance states and actually a lot of kinky play happens in the trance state subspace is nothing but trance um yeah and hypnosis is nothing but a set of tools to really utilize the thing that we subconsciously do all the time so are you using this to as a form of self-hypnosis as well or just on the person you're you're sort of playing with like how, how are we employing the um hypnosis and i want to get into like the practical side of it as well that's the perfect question because um all hypnosis is actually self-hypnosis we as a hypnotist are just giving the other person cues to work with but we are just there with our own brains and we can decide what's coming from outside and inside so the impulses are always the same for us, no matter if we are on our own or with another person. It's really just a help. And thus, I started myself um, as a child. I was autodidactic. Um, of course, I didn't know that this was hypnosis or I was setting triggers or anything. I was just a child that had severe problems falling asleep. And I used trance to get to sleep and i developed this you know um this um how should i call it I, I developed this superpower to fall asleep everywhere just on the spot i still have it it's the best and that's that how sounds, i started that sounds wonderful um can we can we just pause the discussion of the sex how, how do i fall uh -huh. asleep whenever i want to what's the <laughs> what's the yes. other secret here it's so cool especially on planes very, very handy. Um, but that wasn't all. I mean, I was just a child. I thought everybody could do that. And when I grew into a teenager, I started to masturbate. But I was just thinking thoughts and I could make myself come that way. And for a long time, I thought like this was something everybody could do. And I was really amazed when I realized that no, this is very freaky. And um, only later in life, um, through my studies, I came across the word hypnosis and I realized like, oh, I'm setting triggers for myself to orgasm. Um, and the even better realization, 
I can do this to other people too. And this was such a revelation for me, of course, because I had been in the King community for quite a while but that, by that point. Um, and I was developing as a dom and combining hypnosis and domination is just such a bliss. Hmm. There's there's many paths that I want to take this conversation down because um you know the 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 femdom sort of um situation most it seems like from from my sort of outside perspective I suppose that most doms are male or like seem to be most females seem to yeah. be um sub statistically um, yes stati- yes yeah, statistically and maybe that's mm-hmm. like a gender role thing I'm not a hundred percent sure but it sort of seems to make sense to me um but obviously there are people that switch and there are people that are uh, on the opposite side um. Sure. Uh, there's there's multiple paths here that I want to go down. Um, okay, so let's let's just sort of break break it back. You're talking about um causing causing yourself to be able to come via mm-hmm. um entering a translate self hypnosis. Yes. Will you find that is that experience or that that orgasm as good, different, better, worse than mm-hmm. what you would find with a partner, or is it sort of like a like a different sort of experience? Like how how does it how does it yeah. correlate? Yes. So um, I would say that it really depends on the suggestions you use. And this is a hypno-specific word, so I'll just explain it in a bit. Um, hypnosis uses oftentimes language to um, make the other person or yourself understand how something should feel like. And suggestions could be something like, and you feel a wave of pleasure that starts slowly and then intensifies over time, you know, something like that. Or yeah. you could say something like, and you have this balloon and it's filled with pleasure and then we are going to pop it and it will be just one mind-blowing orgasm. And hmm. the way you narrate it is going to influence directly how the other person is perceiving it. So, there is a lot of room for discovery and for trying out things. And um, to me personally, it is completely equivalent to the kinds of orgasms I can achieve with vibration or fingering or any kind of touch. Um, but I also know that this is not the same for every person. Yeah, I've heard that not everyone can be hypnotized. There's a certain um, percentage of people that sort of a very, I don't know what the technical term is, but like resistant or like low hip, low suggestibility maybe. Um, have you found that with your play with people? Um, well, yeah, low suggestibility is one part of it, which means just in general that the person is hard to influence. And suggestibility has nothing to do with hypnosis per se. You have suggestibility in everyday life, like when you watch commercials, for example, or you watch a movie, how much can you... Um, interact with that um, media Mm. and um, but we use suggestibility for hypnosis play and um, the question if a person can go into trance or not is um, actually dependent on a lot of different factors Uh, one of them is suggestibility which is a bell curve so most people are suggestible enough Um, but the other thing is what we call rapport which means the connection you have with that person in front of you and it's not about having a very deep connection it's more about subconscious trust so the kind of trust you have 
if a person that is dressed in white in the hospital is approaching you, you mm. know? And that's why a lot of street like, hypnosis is still like an, like an authority sort of um, yeah. figure. Yeah. Sorry, sorry I cut you off there when you're saying like a, um, like a, street, a street performer. But we're, we're talking about like the authority. If, they, if they've got authority, you're more likely to have that innate trust. Yeah, you have to establish a form of bond. It ha doesn't have to be an intimate relationship. That is how mm. street performing works, right? There are a lot of stage hypnotists, for example, that just call people up to stage. They don't have an established relationship. However, the person was in the audience and believes that this is going to lead somewhere. Yeah. That's what we need. So. I sort of want to go down a, a tangent here with the, the the concept of like say the dom the dom voice you know they uh, like the 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 way that a a dom will speak to a sub. There's a bunch of memes <laughs> that I um, yeah. that I see and like in the people tend to like my voice and they want me to speak in certain ways because they're getting off on my voice, um, <laughs> which is um, oh well thank you I like your voice too um it's just this is just how I talk so I don't know. <laughs> but. But then that leads me to feel that there there is a, a level of like suggestibility or like sort of people are working in this space naturally. If I'm if I say to you in a in a and you, you have this rapport and this trust and we're in the context of sexual play and I'm like you know sit down and I say it with like a with like a force or with an intention, like I've done it and the person seems to comply in a way that take away those factors and they they don't and it's sort of like so it almost surprises them in a sense. Um, yes. And I'm just does that does that sort of correlate with with uh, sort of your space as well? Sure, um, I would say that this is a gray area, right? Because I mean, hypnosis is about technique. There are certain things that help you to go deeper into the experience. Um, for example, a trigger is something the person is like you described doing without even knowing it. It's really just a reaction. It's a conditioning. Um, and you can achieve something like conditioning without hypnosis, of course. We all know that from everyday life experience. Um, hypnosis is just going to make it more intense and it will help you to do it quicker. So, for example, I'm just going to make an example of my relationship because um, I know that this sounds a little bit magical to some people. Um <laughs> So, for example, um, I use um, certain color codes with my submissive partner to um, make him go into a specific mindset. For example, um, I gave the color yellow to feeling like a very good boy. He just feels so happy, so praised. Um, when I make him feel yellow and I have colors like red that make him feel very, very horny. And what that gives me is a tool to attach to different things. For example, I could now say, and when you kiss my feet, you will feel so red. It's going to be so intense. Just think of the reddest red and lean into it and make it the most pleasurable Na 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 na. You see, um, so this is how you can use hypnosis to just crank things up. But of course, you could also just train with your partner without hypnosis. It's just going to be a little bit more long term, maybe until you reach the goal. 
And it's not as easy to access feelings as it is in hypnosis, right? Because you can make your sub kiss your feet if you command it and if that's what you negotiated. But um, it's not as easy to make them feel a certain way on command. And that's where hypnosis is so special, in my opinion. So a couple of things on there. There's You're using the, the trigger word red. Like you're saying, you're describing getting um, your submissive to kiss your feet and then think of red. Why, yes. why does so, – so have you spent time sort of attaching to the word red a variety yes. of different like sort of connections? That's um, right. And then mm-hmm. rather, than, rather than saying when you kiss my feet, you'll feel all of those connections, you're mm-hmm. using the color red or whatever the color is to evoke – that sort of sphere of of uh, feelings. Is that sort of where we're playing? That is right. I mean, you could technically just say that they should feel aroused, but mm. of course it is much more powerful if you layer and you can layer experiences they already had with you that they found arousing. You can layer other aspects of your relationship. You can layer thoughts and make it into this condensed impact that they feel whenever you say red so it's like red red triggers this sort of uh more extreme thing than just saying hey feel aroused it's like feel five instances ten instances all of your arousal all at once sort of sort of situation the thing with the suggestions is they are 100 percent subjective if i say aroused i have an idea of how my partner should feel in that moment But it doesn't mean that the other person is perceiving the word arousal in the same way. Hmm. And because in trans, everything is subconscious, it could, for example, very well happen that the person is feeling not sexual arousal, but excitement. So you have to be specific to make it work as a team. So... There, there's there's a level of, I guess I guess what I, I want to sort of come back to the 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 sort of um, cliche stage hypnosis sort of era and sort of like put it into context because mm-hmm. like you're saying there's like you're, you're describing like a partnership or a teamwork sort of situation to sure. to get to this to get to this state right yeah. so your partner's wanting you to put them into this state because by going to this trance by layering this by the by the act of saying red they're actually experiencing far more than what they will get if you weren't playing with this space is that that's right absolutely so 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 they're like the 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 hypnotist and the person being hypnotized are working together to achieve this heightened experience that's right mm and that and that sort of okay so so how how do you go about um, attaching meaning to the color red or mm. any of the colors, like whatever color is easiest to describe, I suppose. But how, how do you, how do you say like make red a trigger word? Yeah. So, um, there is what we call anchors, which just means that you attach things to other things. Um, so for example, if my partner is in a state of heightened arousal in the way I want him to be aroused and feel arousal. I could, for example, tap on his shoulder and say, and you will remember this feeling for later. And this will be enough, because we're talking about subconscious communication here, for him to 
when I touch him again in trance, attach this moment and this feeling and the things he remember from, remembers from that moment to whatever I'm going to attach to it later. And mm. you, I just want to say something um, about compliance because um, it's important to understand that we're not talking about teamwork um, in the same way we talk about teamwork in other kinky practices. There is, of course, a layer where we negotiate as partners and we say, I want this and you want this and we're going to make it and it's going to be hot. Um, but there's also what I call the subconscious layer. And that is something people often don't understand at first when we talk about hypnosis. Um, just because you agree to something on a conscious level, it doesn't mean that you will comply subconsciously and hmm. the other way around, right? This is a question I'm often asked. People are like, oh, can you do somebody, some, to, uh, can you make somebody do something that they would have never done without hypnosis? And the answer is it's complicated. Because, for example, if I am a very open person that really likes to, you know, have fun, be naked around others and enjoy myself sexually, maybe I do have a layer inside me that's still bound to my Catholic background that feels mm. shame about being naked. And so you might say, hey, I really want you to hypnotize me. So I strip naked in front of the audience. And I will be like, yeah, that's cool. But maybe there is something inside you subconsciously that is going to hinder you to mm. get to that experience at first because we did not think of that subconscious layer. And the other way around. If you feel like, oh my God, I'm super prudish, I will never strip naked, <laughs> maybe there is a shy exhibitionist inside you that is going to scream, oh my God, yes, finally. And if you agree to it, you could very possibly be on stage naked. <laughs> okay. All right. I want, I want to put this, um, th this, this back, back on you. Mm. What? What do you get as the, what's what's the, the 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 dom or the the dominance motivation? What do, what do you get from um, from having this? And it's like the obvious answer is like well power. But <laughs> what what why um, why do you enjoy playing in this space with mm. or without the hypnosis? Yes. So um, first of all, I would say it's about intimacy for me. It's about understanding mapping shaping the mind of another person i'm a very psychological being and therefore hypnosis just plays into my strength in that way mm -hmm. um there is so much connection in knowing how another brain works how they feel like how you can make them feel something um and finally of course make them do something for you this is where power comes in hmm is is every uh is every brain or the process of sort of using hypnosis as domination a a similar pro approach or will you have to sort of work differently on different people 
oh, you have to crack the code. <laughs> That's why there is uh, actually some training to do if you want to get into hypnosis. Um, I mean, you have to understand the theoretical background to some extent, but the most important thing is to understand how to adapt your technique accordingly. And mm. um, different brains work very differently. Um, just to make an example, there are people that um, will immediately have a beautiful vision popping up in their head when I say, and you walk through a forest. They mm. see it. They, they already make out little birds in the trees and you know they are there um i'm, other I'm people... the exact i'm the exact opposite of that i had a <laughs> had a psychology session and she wanted to do a sort of a guided visual thing because i'm going into a sort of therapy and just the I, i'm just not very visual at all and i'm like if it's a fake place i can't get into it and if it's a real place i'm imagining the reality that I, it's it's more a memory not a visualization mm -hmm. and it's it's very different Absolutely. That's what, where I was heading. Other people mm. need to draw from memory. And some of them are open to combine different memories. That's also very crazy. Um, but some people will be like, huh? What kind of trees? Pine trees? Am I in a jungle? Where, where the fuck am I? You know, they need really specific direction so they're able to see a forest. I think and, I think uh, I'd like be said, I'd be down into that path. I um, it's like it's like the guy the guided imagery. It's like when they say something that couldn't physically happen. It's like breathe into your toes. It's like I can't breathe into my toes. My lungs stop yeah. here, and it just it shoots me straight out of it. So absolutely, yeah. and that's what we would call an analytical subject. You are somebody that's very much in his head that likes to check information that comes in, and you're a little bit um, you know, a little bit um. How should I put it? Um, Standoffish? Skeptical? <laughs> maybe. Skeptical. Yeah, you're skeptical. Um, mm. But most of the time, you're just skeptical of the things that other people tell you. And that is very, very good because we can use your own brain and your own thoughts. And um, one thing uh, that's often used with subjects that, that are analytical is to, instead of making them relax, to overload them. So it's oh, like, really? okay, yeah, it's like, okay, you're, you're a little bit competitive. You want to check. Okay, let's see how far we can go. Let's see how much thoughts you can think, how much we can layer. Hmm. And, <laughs> and that's how you catch those people. Um, see, I've, I've never heard of, heard of that going that other approach because you always hear this, you know, calm down sort of situation. Can you go into that a little bit more? Like, so, so you're saying you'll, you'll get what? someone that's on that analytical mind to huh. think layers. How, how, how are we playing here? So this is, again, science. There is um, um, a general rule that's called 7 plus minus 2. Yep. And this means uh, we are not able to think of more than maximum nine things at once um, that are one compartment. So, for example, one number, one color, one name, one face, you know? Um, and this is how you can overload somebody. Um And it's going to work every time just because our brain just has so much capacity. And once the person is at the brink of overload, it's that's the moment they want to relax. And that's the moment you can slip into trance with them. Hmm. Because it's like progressive muscle relaxation, but just the other way, you know? Because you're so, so concentrated that you 
like to let go in that moment or you and have to <laughs> in in the moment of letting go that's when you're you're putting that's in that's right yeah because like going into trance you can just think of it like a door opening and there's just this little slit opening and you need to get your foot into that door in that right moment that hmm. is what you need to learn as a hypnotist that's your craft I'm I'm very I'm very eager. I've I've looked at hypnotism over the years. The <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe maybe I should look into it. You're inspiring me. Um, two two questions, two parts. I want to go down, and maybe you could answer one and then the other. Um, when I saw a uh, psychiatrist a while back, given my past, he suggested to me, he's like, do not go to a hypnotist to treat the issues that I've got based on a, past, a traumatic, neglectful issues in the past. Um, mm -hmm. so, so is there a certain subgroup that you like now, obviously that was for like a thera therapeutic option. It wasn't for like, he didn't yeah. mention anything about, uh, sexual, um, sexual hypnotism, but, um, is there, is there a risk of, uh, certain people that maybe shouldn't play in this space? Yes, absolutely. So, um, I think it's to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, I would say hypnosis is always rack. There is a risk involved and you have to know about that. Um, and there is no real distinction between therapeutic hypnosis and recreational hypnosis in the sense that the same things could happen to you, right? You can play and have a session that is just about pleasure. Um, however, maybe because we're so associative in this trans state, maybe the other person is using a, a specific word, maybe just saying slut instead of whore. And this word just triggers something in your mind. Mm. It gives you a flashback, you know? Um, hypnosis helps you to open up in many ways. And so you can remember things that you suppressed. And I think that is why you got this advice to maybe not tap into this. Mm. Um I would say tap into this if you're prepared to tap into it and if you have a partner that is willing um, and equipped to give you the right kind of aftercare you need if you're triggered. So just let, let's let's talk aftercare a little bit because in the um, yeah. DOM subspace, there's there's a need for aftercare anyway. I mean, going sort of going both ways as well, but it's sort of typically looked at upon for, you know, make sure that everyone comes back to a state of normalcy. You're looking mm -hmm. at making sure that the person's coming out of the trance back into a state of normalcy. What what sort of um aftercare will you will you make sure that the person's experiencing? Or what are you, what's your yeah. goals in that space, mm -hmm. I suppose? Yeah. So one of the most important things is to make sure that they are really out of trance which means um, sometimes people enjoy the state of trance so much that they will slip back into it. They are sneaky sometimes, your subjects. You have to really check that they are out of trance and they're not slipping back into this beautiful, blissful state if you don't want that. Um, because after you went in and out of trance, you are more likely to go back into trance. It's easier to go back. So you can use that, of course, to have a second go if that's what you want. But if you don't want it, you have to be prepared for checking in and see that the person is really out of trance. Maybe do something that activates them again. One thing that is very, very helpful for most people is drinking or eating something 
for example, um, uh, or, you know, the things in general that help you after a kink scene. Because, like I said, subspace and being in trance often overlaps. Hmm. I remember this is sort of off topic, but I feel like there's there's a lot of space space here that that um yeah like like I said that sort of sort of interlinks and uh, join joins up with different things. If if someone was inspired to get into learning how to hypnotize someone else, like how how did you get into how did you sort of how did you learn, I suppose? Um, yeah. And how would you suggest someone that maybe doesn't have, like if, if it was in person, maybe online resources or like what, how can mm-hmm. they, how can they start playing down this path? Yes. So the general advice um, is to start off with Mark Wiseman, erotic hypnosis or the mind play study guide. Both are great. Um, and those books are, um, they are particularly written for kinky hypnosis and they Hmm. are quite short so it's easy to start and to check whether or not this is for you Hmm. and what's also great about those books is they have scripts in them so there is you know an abc version of a hypnosis session in there and you can just read it to someone <laughs> of hmm. course that is super helpful as a beginner okay okay and then just sort of expand from there and see how you yes. how mm-hmm. you go maybe there, there might be communities or um i suppose in person or online sort of situations you can join yeah and... right okay because, I, might... I mean mm-hmm. i'm no, very... I was just saying I might, I might give those books books a read just out of curiosity and see see where it lands because there, yeah, there's something when you were describing the the uh, the the reasonings behind, like I like this idea of understanding why, understanding why people do an act, and then also obviously compliance. Like I mean, if you're talking about, um, you know, in every space, like the, there's this idea of like having the ability to sell is good, having the ability mm. to convince people is good. Yeah. I mean, manipulation has a bad connotation as a word, but mm. we're manipulating people all the time you know you you dress a certain way you act a certain way you do certain things to get certain responses we want to sort of we want to sort of cause other people to think of us in certain ways right all of that is a sort of an aspect of manipulation it's just manipulation has this sort of dirty word if that makes sense yes and i wouldn't even use that word for me it's about transformation it's about you know we live in a world with millions of possibilities we are mm. always shaped by our surroundings. And this is about choosing a path. It's about mutually deciding which story you want to follow. This is mm. about Alice in Wonderland, you know, exploring a new world and being able to be astonished about the things she might find, but also be part or take part in creating this world. Because hypnosis, like I said, is not just a power trip. It can be if you want to, but you can do this absolutely together as a team, one hundred percent. So it doesn't have to be a dom sub thing. It can just be a, like a let's explore no, this together. Absolutely not. I have mm. a very niche interest in long term change and long term conditioning because I'm in a twenty four seven DS relationship. But mm. this is like 
1% of kinky people. Um, I am a weirdo among weirdos with my lifestyle. And this is not the only way you can use hypnosis. Absolutely not. So, so you're saying a, a tw- so I did want to come back to this 24 seven mm-hmm. dom sub relationship. Yeah. Please, please uh, because like um, a lot of people will sort of be, be if they're just playing with their sort of you know life partner, their, their, their wife, their husband, it's like, okay, in the bedroom dom sub. And then in life, we're just, mm-hmm. you know, regular, like, I don't know, regular, not, not in that space. Maybe there is a bit mm-hmm. of dom subness, but it's not the same yeah. as it is in the bedroom, but are you, are you saying that it's like, a, it's a full life? Like this is, this is the dynamic of every aspect of the relationship. Yes. I mean, this is about labels and labels are just telling you so much. Mm-hmm. What I mean by this is we are always envisioning each other as Dom and Sub. There is no separation from our usual identity and our relationship identity as, you know, a DS couple. And we're always striving for having maximum power exchange. This is our goal. It does not mean that we always have the same intensity of power exchange in our relationship or every aspect are dominated by me in the same way. But it's Hmm. about, you know, having a shared goal in that sense. How, how did how did the dynamic begin? Because I yeah. could see that it would evolve into this into this ideal that you're describing, but mm-hmm. I, I it, it wouldn't sort of start that way, or maybe it did. I'm not sure. How, how did it? How did you get to this place? Yeah, well, so I had been in the King community for five years at that point, and um, my submissive and I were both part of the same total power exchange circle. So I was very well established in the kink scene and we had this um, group of people coming together from all over Germany to exchange our thoughts and our experiences in total power exchange, which is again a label and people will interpret it differently. But for me personally... Can you explain explain what that label means or explain where where you sit on Mm -hmm. that? Yeah, so total power exchange usually means or means to me that um, we're talking about a relationship in which the power transfer should be maximized. However, that's possible within the constraints of your life. For some people, that might mean um, I want my submissive to stay at home and really serve me or be part of my business or whatever. Um, For others, It's totally fine if the other person has their separate career. It's just about them focusing completely on their power exchange in a certain aspect of their relationship. So those people aren't a homogenous group just because they are, um, you know, uniting under the same label. However, I think the idea is that DS is very important for them as a lifestyle choice. And this is the place where I found my submissive. Um, and I think that's what helped us a lot to um, really get and lean into this lifestyle together because we both came already knowing that this is what we want to choose. As as the dominant, how do you ensure that the submissive is true? And I suppose the hypnotism mm. 
aspect may apply or may not, but how do you assume that the person submitting to you is fully consenting? Because if they're if if they're sort of uh, their mental bend or their their sort of desires is to submit, mm-hmm. I feel like there might be a risk of them agreeing to certain aspects that they're not comfortable with. And as the dom, you would have to be sort of maybe taking actions to protect to protect them or to protect them almost from themselves to not yes. give over too much or something like that. Absolutely. I think negotiation and power um, are always a very problematic combination. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that is always the case, even in non-kinky relationships. Because being madly in love with somebody, <laughs> it's going to impact you saying yes or no to things. Um, and I think that is highlighted and heightened in a DS relationship. And how I, um, how I personally work with that is by taking it extremely slow. So I am a hypnotist and I love hypnotizing people. But I did not even tell my submissive that I was a hypnotist for, I think, one year. Because I knew that he was into hypno kink and how few women out there are able to hypnotize. So I did not want him to jump into this because I would fulfill his fetish. I wanted Mm. him to be in there for me. And I wanted our power relationship to grow organically for one year before I even lean into this, like you said, very high level form of, um, you know, picking someone's brain and maybe transforming them. So I had Mm. one one year of trial period, like I call it, where I told him like, hey, listen, this is just to see if we can work together. Is this something we want to pursue together? Do you want to go in deeper? Or are we already starting to see a lot of red flags coming and we decide to step back from this? Um, Yeah, and so I think it's a lot about um, being cool-headed and have a meta view on your relationship and do check-ins together where you're like hey where are we right now is this what we want um and you know the the problems that arise when you're about the lifestyle are of course a lot about resources for example so i don't i personally i personally never had the experience that um he would be I don't know unsure about a practice but I had the experience that he was unsure about can I make so much time for this relationship right Mm. because if you have daily rituals if you communicate to that extent about feelings fantasies thoughts um, that is going to add up and it's going to be something you really have to want to be part of your life. Because for most people, it's very hot to fantasize about being a 24-7 submissive and doing this ritual every day. But then go and do it and see how it works for you if you have a bad day, if you wake up grumpy. Um, mm. And it's the same way the other way around. Like, Are you really interested in having this position as a dom? 
um, when you come back from home and you're super stressed. Do you want that? Mm. And saying the, yes the to that. Practical side of things. The yeah, and saying the, yes the to that again and again. Yeah, saying yes to that again and again. Um, that is what creates um, the foundation for me as a dom to feel secure about ramping it up, introducing new practices, and becoming a little bit more spicy. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. Um, I just wanted to uh, ask a, just a, a nitpick on this. You, you said that you will have like a meta look at your relationship or you're trying to like yeah. sort of will you maybe from time to time sort of like you're doing the 24-7 play but will there be times where you're like okay like for, for the next like x amount of discussion we're going to just put that aside have a little mm. look at it and then and then come back into it is that is that how you're doing it mm, I don't think that would work for us no? I, I think that can work perfectly for other people but for us there is no separation there is no relationship in which my submissive and I are together and not in a DS relationship. Hmm. We can't go that place. However, what we can do is we can focus on our team-based approach. And we can say like, hey, let us sit down. I'm sitting on the couch and you sit on the floor. And we brainstorm about the things that we need and the things that we want. And we will write them down separately and then we will introduce them to the other person and think about how can we achieve it. You see, that's how I do it. Mm -hmm. And um, I like yeah, just just to add to that, um, there are moments where I ask my submissive if he wants to step out of the dynamic. Um, that is when we fight. When we have a, a fight, and that happens in every relationship. Um, I will ask him, okay, do you want to sit down on a chair or do you want to sit down on the floor? This is how I ask him because I, I invite him to sit down on a chair like me and be on the same level, or I invite him to solve our quarrel in a DS way. Hmm. And he always chose the DS way. It's fascinating. I'm um I've not I've not uh spoken to a um someone in a twenty four seven uh dom sub space. So it's um mm -hmm. it's it's new it's new to me. So if I'm asking questions that seem obvious, uh please please forgive. But I think there'll be a lot of people that uh like you said, it's like a, it's an extreme case of an ex of a of a small subset. Yes. Um, Just not sure. I'm trying to decide where I want to go with this. You, you, you mentioned that you you will. So 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 it's it's a it's a lifestyle play, not just sexual. It's a. Is it? Are, are you or they acting in this space, or is it like you're just sort of embodying your truth, and you're sort of like mm. a, like opening into that truth space more so? I love that. I love the idea of. <laughs> embodying your truth i believe that people have multiple truth at once i would say that we are leaning into one truth and mm. um, that is what gives us pleasure this is a place where we feel safe where we feel very sexy um, where we feel powerful connected intimate romantic this is just our bubble where we 
have the best connection possible. Um, and I wouldn't, I think acting um, has such a bad touch as a word. Um, I think we always try to be genuine in what we feel. But I think there has to be room for a heightened sense of self in a kinky session. And we do have sessions. We have everyday life where our DS relationship is just what we do. Um, for example, I make breakfast and he eats from a dog bowl in the morning. That is just a casual ritual that makes us happy. Um, but then there are moments where I would, you know, dress up and say, okay, you have been such a good boy. I'm going to wear those high heels and maybe you're allowed to lick them. And, you know, we lean into this even more. And I mm. wouldn't call that acting. It's just um, giving each other this special treat of just focusing on this one aspect for a while. Mm. That's, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I, I like that, um, the, the, the special treat approach. Um, it's like, it's like the, the, the relationship dessert. Um, <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Because if you do it like in an everyday life approach, you still need those moments, you know, um, mm. it, it has to be for me, the pleasure is that it is something that I have daily, but I have to be grateful for it. You know, I still have to feel like this is something that we built that is beautiful. And you have to have moments where you just celebrate that. Hmm. Well, if you're spending all of this time in this dynamic, you've got such a, a vehicle to be able to go much further as well because you're so – I feel like, I mean, people listening will, will likely find it quite um, different to their, to their space. But what I am noticing is <laughs> that all of the, the, the Dom Sub stuff aside, that's almost like a um, – it's it's hyper focused attention on the the relationship dynamic that you've got. I mean, how many relationships do you see that uh, where the couples are just sort of not in sync? You know, the one person's over here, the other person's over there, and they're not sort of they're sort of living together, but they're they're not together. If that makes sense, they haven't spent the time to to work out whatever their dynamic is, and it doesn't have to be dom sub. It's just whatever that dynamic is, they're just not in sync, and then they're not by that definition they're not a team they're not they're not working towards the same goal they're not having the the level of um pleasure and i say pleasure not necessarily sexually but just joy um acceptance uh you know like that's other other aspects of pleasure you know yes absolutely <laughs> I, I wanted to ask about the um i always like i always ask on the podcast the practical side of things because there's uh -huh. um you know like like you described um, a daily ritual of um, you eating from a bowl and your sub eating from a dog bowl on, on the ground, mm -hmm. I'm presuming, right? Now, I'm imagining there, there's um, a lot of similar sort of things happening in a lot of different spaces, right? Yeah. Now, if you have um, – if you go someplace that isn't kinky mm -hmm. or you have people in the house that aren't in that space do you yeah. tone it down do you change it do you just like now nah, this is us like we're doing this thing how, how do you how do you navigate the uh the more vanilla spaces of life 
Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think it's very important to respect other people. And not everybody wants to be part of other people's sexuality. <laughs> of course, there is this argument to make that this is our lifestyle and um, we have a right to express ourselves. However, for me personally, I don't need my submissive to walk on a leash in everyday places. Um, there is this like liminal space, for example, when we go hiking in the woods and you know nobody's there. Um, that's when I will sneakily bring a leash and a color and we will have some fun. Um, but for me, there's also a lot of pleasure in sharing a secret with my partner. And this is how I go about in everyday life places, you know? There is just this magical moment when you look into each other's eyes and you just use your heel and slightly kick him or just stroke his leg underneath the table and he shivers in pleasure and you both know that this is so powerful and kinky and nobody else will notice. And there are, of course, a lot of liberties you have as a girl in everyday life spaces. For example, I think if I um, order for my partner as a girl, people aren't really minding it. The other way around, I think some people would find you very old-fashioned or even give you a bad look in the sense of, wow, this is not feminist. But for better or worse, uh, I could do that in public without other people um, minding. Um, this is something that I consider a gray area and I don't really enjoy playing with that um, because I feel like other people might look down on my partner in secret because they don't understand what exactly happens here. Um, and they might think that I just humiliate him or... I am not respecting him as a person in that moment. So that's something I I don't like to do often. But then mm. again, there are those secret moments when, you know, um, his shoelace got loose or I just tell him that his shoelace got loose and he has to kneel down and I can pat his head. And this is a beautiful little moment to share in public and nobody will mind it. I like that a lot. I like the... um. The little the little public uh public public play in a in a in a subtle way that's very that's very delicious <laughs> you 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 mentioned um you don't want to sort of go down that humiliation path but then you also sent me a a discussion of uh fear and or humiliation play and oh, obviously I'm... there's there's a there's mm -hmm. it's not you're not you want to play I'm, I'm guessing you want to play with it by choice but not humiliate by like sort of societal if that makes sense is that sort of where we're where we're hitting that's correct for me it's important that everybody that is watching the scene knows how much i respect my partner and understands the sacrifice and the value that he is putting into that scene because being submissive in a humiliation sense is so brave i want people to applaud him for being that open. And mm. when I'm in a public space, people will laugh at him in a bad way. I don't want that. 
yeah, it's context, right? Like it's it's Absolutely. you can you can get him to tie his shoe and and pat his head, and that looks that doesn't look to the outside observer like anything. It just it's just like you're just being kind. But yeah. you you and he both know exactly what's happening there. But the outside the outside observer just thinks that you're just giving him a loving pat on the head. It's about the difference between violence and kink, and I want everybody mm. involved know that difference in that moment. So if ha- if I, you know, giving a slap across his face in a kink club, people assume, and they will be right to do that, that this is a negotiated practice and we both enjoy that moment and it's kink. But if I slap him, you know, at the central main station, people will assume that I am, you know, acting out intimate partner violence in public. And mm. I would be really pissed if nobody would care. But I would also be very embarrassed to explain people that this is all fine. Mm. Because yep. I want them to react negatively to a man partner being slapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm fully on Fully on, fully on board with that. I wanted to 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 drill into um, the the humiliation as a form of play, because I I've, I asked this of people that um, in in some of the other podcasts, but just online in general, like submissive that enjoy, for example, impact play. It's context dependent. You know, if if they were to be struck or hit by someone else, or in a in a space or a mental space where it's like not consensual it's now it's now abuse right you're now getting like like we like you were just describing um and i would imagine it's the same thing with the humiliation play sort of stuff so context dependent and that sort of stuff how, how do you play with with humiliation and um sort of yeah can you can you go into that that space a little bit both like how you do it and why you do it yes i love that okay <laughs> so um First of all, I would label myself an emotional sadist. And this is how all those practices connect. There is fear play, there is shame play, because it's about this psychological moment where I use another person's freely given vulnerability. And this can look very differently for different people. And this is what I enjoy about it so much, because... For me, my personal power trip is to really understand someone and be able to pick their brains and to pull that one trigger they have. You know, I mean, not in the trauma sense, but in the sense of like, this is what they want or this is what makes them tick. This is how I perceive my own power as a dom, how I feel powerful and sexy and what I want to achieve in a relationship. Um, the great Dom uh, Midori once said, like, um, I can judge you like a book. Eh, sorry, I can read you like a book, but you have to turn the page. And this is what I want. I want my partner to give me this openness, um, whether it might be in a conversation or in a session, so I can pick that up and turn him on, and turn that, quote unquote, against them. <laughs> I I love it because you're sort of um you're 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 living a um a a dark fantasy that I think a lot of people have this this feeling of wanting to 
uh, sort of be be the um the puppeteer yes I, I would say that like my dom persona is like a female bond villain i want the person <laughs> to be sitting there you, on the you're, you're chair. dressed a little bit like a female bond villain right now actually i can i can see i can i definitely see that look that that's my style yes uh, like <laughs> i said it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle um you have to dress for the job <laughs> yes no but like in my the the accent the accent helps as well with the bond villainy depends on the age, the <laughs> yeah. age of the um of the bond but it, it suits I'm, yeah please imagine an evil german now um <laughs> yeah and i just want my submissive in this ideal fantasy to sit on a chair chained and i will just you know walk around them like a lioness and circle them and be like welcome mr bond you are already intoxicated with my truth serum, so don't worry. It's only going to take five minutes for me to know everything I want to know. You know, that's my vibe. <laughs> it it feels like... Oh, hmm? sorry, go on. But I don't know if it's necessarily dark. I think... Um, I think we tend to perceive psychological things as darker than physical things. Mm. But um, I don't really know if that's true. Um, I think it's sometimes more blurry to see the line, you know, because when you, you hit somebody, you can just visibly see how hard you hit them. And that's not the case with humiliation play, for example. But then again... When you hit the person in the wrong way, they can be crippled for life, just the same as they mm. can be crippled by you saying the wrong things to them and not taking care of them. Yeah, yeah safety safety is a big concern, particularly when you're playing with the the hypno space. It's it's a um, it's an interesting. You know, you're, you're talking about layered triggers. Trust would be a big thing. I want yeah. to I want to ask with with your uh your your motivations again like you you sound like you're you're you enjoy the um you know like yeah like the 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 vulnerability the person opening up to you you can read the book that they've opened for you right but let's say you're with your you're with your submissive or you're you're in this space i i can't help but imagine that there's seemingly like endless layers of connection and vulnerability and sort of depth that you could go because it's like like you know, like if we were to play, right, like I could submit to you, but it wouldn't be the same level of submission that we would get after a hundred sessions together, right? And I just feel like it would just like like is is it a never ending journey into the rabbit hole? Yeah. I would say yeah. that. Um <laughs> there are so many layers to a human being and I will never be finished with him. I will never know everything about him because he's constantly evolving and changing too. So I have to watch him like a pervert for a very long time. <laughs> on on that topic, bringing back something you said before, the, the idea of subconscious layers, right? Let's huh. say maybe you've experienced this, but there's a layer of him that is extremely dominant or extremely like, like you know, like, like a barrier, like, no, like we're mm, not. Have you have you encountered that? And if you haven't, like, how'd you deal with it, or how would you deal with it, sort of thing? Could you please explain that barrier a little bit more, maybe with an example? 
well, I'm not. I'm not sure because I'm. I'm trying to trying to get into into the space that you described of um, people having, like, say, subconscious layers that might be different to their um, conscious layers, right? Oh, and if you're okay. if you're going down into this space with you, with your submissive, are you, mm-hmm. are you talking uh, about inner conflicts? If if they they've agreed to. And they're they're in this submissive st- sp- space with yeah. you consciously. You're in this relationship. Yeah. Is there a place that you might discover a maybe a conflict? Maybe I'm not using the right terminology, and and we're, we're having a misunderstanding of meaning here. But I think before you mentioned that that some t- sometimes there's a difference between their conscious and their subconscious. Um, even if mm-hmm. someone's in a twenty four seven submissive relationship, and you're going into their sort of psyche almost. Could it be that you get to a level or a layer or a place in that play where they all of a sudden, all of a sudden, or in that space, they're like, "No, I'm not." Do you know what I mean? Like, like is is how, how do you, you? Yes. Yeah. How I think do you there progress? are. I think there are two aspects to your question. One is um, specifically about hypnosis and about resistance in hypnosis, and the other one is about everyday life power exchange interaction and how we deal with um, resistance there. So in general, it happens all the time in hypnosis that a person is not able to grasp a suggestion or they have a different understanding of it or you just phrased something in a way they can't work with. And that doesn't mean they don't want it. It just means that you have to find another, you know, little entrance into this space so for example Mm. i'm very much into amnesia play so making my partner partially forget things for a certain amount of time which is great because you can always give them just memories you had together um it's a great a great opportunity um however um sometimes people have difficulties to hide things from themselves because that's what they have to do. Every hypnosis is self-hypnosis. We're not deleting memory. They can just make it less important for themselves so they won't reach it for a certain amount of time. And for example, I encountered the problem that when I tell my submissive that you have this memory, this information, whatever it might be, and we hide it in a secret place deep inside you, my submissive would still be able to trace it back because their subconscious mind would sneakily think like, okay, but we remember the drawer, okay? Um, and so he, he told me that and he was like, okay, honestly, if I wanted to, I could get that information now. And then I was, I would ask him like, okay, is this something you would want to keep because this makes you feel safer? It's totally fine. You don't have to completely forget it if that's not what you want. And he told me, like, actually, I would really like to forget it completely. I think we just have to switch it up a little bit. And so what I did was I put him back into trance, and then I told him, okay, and we will place it in another drawer, and this drawer is going to be placed within a box, and I'm going to take the key out, and I will keep the key and you have to ask for the key so you can ever reach it. And that's how we made him forget it completely until <laughs> I gave him the key back, so to speak. 
you just have to find the right wording and of course negotiate together and work together to make it happen so that's See, the hypnosis part uh, yeah pardon me so like like how do you i would love to f see a scientific the scientific data on the level of forgetting or memory implantation effectiveness because yeah. it sounds like fantasy hearing it but i've looked into sort of people doing it and it seems to be legit so it's like this this contradiction in in spaces there and like this description of him you're like no like i could get it back if i want to and you're like okay well let's let's play with this more and like really hide this and you have to come to me to it so it's like could i will i will give you a little bit more of the um science behind amnesia play before i mm. go back to the resistance play in everyday life right yes yes please yeah mm -hmm. so I understand why it might sound very magical at first that you can forget things at will. But then mm. again, with, within hypnosis, we just utilize what our brain does all the time. And forgetting things is what we do best because our brain is constantly filtering one million things at once. You have so much to process from sound to visual input to internal dialogue and you always have to know what's important and what's garbage right hmm. um, for example right now we are both concentrated on each other but there is so much in our surrounding i can hear that my boyfriend is cooking something in the background i can hear that cars are driving past my flat you know but this is not important and i filter this co out completely when i focus on you that's what you use. Um, and if you are asking for scientific backup, there is, and this is a very controversial topic, and that's why I don't want to dive into it too deeply now, but there is a lot of data on um, fake memory and mm. changing memory when it comes to uh, law and to um, questioning people, right? Because if you use suggestive language or if um, people um, are asked questions in a certain way, mm. they might remember things that never happened. Um, and I'm not going to dive deeper into this because this is a very sensitive topic and I'm not an expert um, in this field. I, I remember I remember just, I've done it, I've, all I've got in mm -hmm. my psych, psych degree was like an undergrad, um, very basic, but we looked into that and it was like, I remember the study, I don't remember the name of it or anything, but if if they showed participants a car crash and then said how, how fast was the car going when it bumped, when it crashed, when it touched, when it smashed. The, 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 the key choice of that word changed the predictions of what they saw and they all saw the same video. Is that, is that sort of where we're – yeah. And Absolutely. That's... And that is, this is a very scary thought for a lot of people mm. because we want to make sure that our perception of the world is 100% correct and that there is no – fluidity to our memories um but our thoughts and the way we remember things mm. has some fluidity to it and that's what you can use for recreational hypnosis too hmm. i mean we use it in hypnotherapy the other way around to make people remember things but you can just you know switch it and make people forget in a consensual way with things that you should make people forget and remember again you know this is not about 
oh my God, I had such a traumatic relationship with my dad. I just want to forget about that. That wouldn't be ethical to do in a recreational mm. hypnosis session. It's more about how about you forget your name for a day? Or how about you forget how to navigate through the city without me? Just let us have this day where you think that everything around you is completely new and unknown and you don't know your ways through your own hometown streets anymore and you need me now okay so so before we move on i i watched a, an awesome show and it was amazing and then i'm like this is the best like it was just, it just blew my mind and then i rewatched it and it was still amazing but it, it it took away the um the initial joy of you know the discovery the the amaze the awe and I, I appreciate it on a different level. So would it be possible for me to forget the experience to give me that ability to rewatch this amazing show that I watched um, Absolutely. and experience that again? Yes, that's something that, that a lot of people do with recreational hypnosis. See, like there's a bunch of books and stuff. I'm like, oh man, I really, I've, like I've, I've, I've felt yeah. the twist. So I know it's coming. Like I just want to, I, you can see behind me, I've got a million books. Um, <laughs> just, I want, I want that, uh, that, that experience yeah. of um, surprise and shock again. Yeah. We can, we can play of down course. that path, can we? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, um, I have to say there are limitations to it because um, subjects are an, are not always equally talented. There are different um, suggestions that you can give a subject and not everybody will be able to forget or suppress something for a very long period of time. Usually people can have this moment of not remembering something for a short period of time. That's what a lot of you know stage hypnotists use with this like you don't know how you are uh, you don't know your own name trick. That is very mm. popular, um, but that's only for a minute or two. And if you want somebody to be in this state and do this work, which is actually work and it takes some of your brain's capacity, um, you need to be trained or to be talented to do that at once, uh, mm. which doesn't mean that you can't do it, but not every subject will be able to forget the plot twist of the sixth sense and watch the whole movie um, <laughs> and be surprised again. Uh, yeah, that, that that makes a lot of sense. I it 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 feels almost like it's like like a, like a, almost like a computer or two computers rewiring themselves or like working on each other because it's like the my memories make like my memories and my understanding of my memories sort of intertwine with my personality and make me me right if you if you take away or we we play with taking away aspects of myself i don't know like I, it makes me feel like like people ask like i've had issues in my past and people people ask the things like would you change aspects of your past or would you you know if you could would you eliminate this would you whatever and part of me wants to say yes like it would be good to not have experienced those things but then another part of me is like well those things led me to be me now you know like you know overcoming that growing from that learning from that reflecting on that has made me me so it's like there's this interplay between the um i don't know it's like it's like trying to yeah like you're, you're turning the camera inwards and you're sort of operating on yourself almost absolutely and that is why um to come back to that topic i think um negotiation and power are so hard to combine 
because like I said, I'm into long-term training and changing my partner. And the moment he became and fully embodies this identity, he will be happy to keep that identity. And he will say that in the past, he always wanted to be that identity because that's what we do all the time, right? That's the same thing you said, even though you're talking about something that is right now maybe hindering you in some points. You still construct your identity in a way that makes it important for you to have that experience. Mm. And um, so if you change somebody, the person ideally will, you know, trace everything back and be like, yes, this has always been how I wanted to be. And this is who I am now. And I like it, you know. Personality and identity is such an interesting space because it's Absolutely. it's constantly evolving and adapting and tweaking. Like, mm. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to say that there is, you know, nothing responsible, uh, no responsibility to keep in mind when you do that. I think it's extremely important to be very, very thorough and slow and approach this all in a team with a team aspect. Um, but then again, you also have to see the flip side that people are always shaped by the people surrounding them, that your identity always changes with your long-term partners sticking around for 10 years. Um, mm. They might be vegan and you eat more vegan food and in the end you turn out to be vegan too. That's not brainwashing. That's not conditioning. That is just, you know you subconsciously adapting to another person you like and you're around a lot. And what I like to use is just this everyday life experience and, you know, kinkify it and make it something we approach rationally and approach with a systematic idea of what we want to do with it. I, it, it sounds like you're approaching this from a, a very uh, conscientious space. Like you're you're yeah. thorough. You're you're taking it slow, like you said. Like the year, you're you're doing it well. I just I feel like there's there's a definite place that it could be abused or misused. Yes. Um, and I suppose like all like you know bad bad doms like take away the hypnosis, but like the the dom sub relationship seems to be from from what I've spoken to people like it, it can be done extremely well when you're conscientious and caring and you know you're helping but then it can be misused and I'm, I'm just like there seems to be layers of this that you could take things in a way that's not you know not conscientious so it's like it sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of <laughs> very good job of, of ensuring that but mm. I understand what you mean I think abuse is something that always endangers you when you interact with other people um, and there are certain things that can make a relationship more safe or unsafe. Um, things like conditioning or um, brainwashing or hypnosis or however you want to call them can do both for you. For example, talking about amnesia play. You could gaslight somebody. That is an abusive tactic where you make them profoundly unsure of what's right and what's wrong and what happened. That mm. is abuse. But you can also use it in a cre recreational way where you are like, okay, I would really love to play with you in this way. Would you enjoy this? And I will make sure that there are safety implements that you can get back that memory or that thought anytime you feel unsafe. 
And that is a very mutual-based, team-based, healthy way of approaching amnesia play. Um, so I personally wouldn't say that practices themselves are, you know, always more abusive or have a tendency to be more abusive. But this is a very, very powerful tool. Mm. And if you put a powerful tool into the wrong hands, it's going to cause damage. That's it's a tool. It. Tools can be used for for either um, creation or destruction, right? <laughs> yeah, a knife can be a weapon or it can be just a kitchen tool. Yes. Um, okay, so, so I want to just go into um yeah the the amnesia play just a little bit more how, how <laughs> okay. um, and just then... going to remind you because i'm so german that there is still this other part of resistance play waiting ah <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> no i want to go back to that um and i also want to ask a question about um all right we'll, we'll get to it um <laughs> mm -hmm. german efficiency we're, we're right we're right on time we're getting there um okay so you so I, I came up or I, I suggested that idea of using it as a way to forget the plot of a book or a, a show right yeah how, how could you use it um as a as a sexual aid or a sexual boon mm -hmm. oh yes okay there are one million ways but Oops. um <laughs> yeah um i will just tell you a little bit about how i use it just to make it more practical. Yeah. So um, you can use it to make a person, for example, forget they already did something for you and get the same kinky service again and again and have fun. <laughs> you know, like, oh, you told me you would give me a blowjob, but you never did. Like, when is it coming, you know? And then they, you know, give it to you and then you can just rewind the clock and be like, Where's my blowjob? <laughs> so this can be very fun and also a big mindfuck for the other person. Um, then I personally, like I said, I like to use it to gift back memories. So I would have a scene with my submissive where I'm doing something he especially enjoys, you know, a practice he was longing for. And I will put that precious memory of us having this interaction into this beautiful little box inside his head i will take the key and then for example i gifted him the key on christmas <laughs> <laughs> and so he had this moment and he was at his parents house we weren't physically together um he was just on the phone and he had this moment this big flashback with all those memories flooding back like those you know, sensations he had when I was playing with him in that special way. Um, and he got incredibly aroused. And um, yeah, that was very, very precious for us. So so it's like a, a memory that you did, you did this event. I did that. Yeah, we did that. You can, of course, also create memories that never hmm. happened, which is another layer and something that you should be very mindful doing like i said before you have to um, you have to make sure that your partner is grounded in reality and i was, was going to ask about the reality play right like 
Let's mm-hmm. say you've you've never gone skydive. I'm just pulling it just a random thing out. Mm-hmm. Could you implant a memory of like like something that's so far out of the realms of possibility, but if you you spun a narrative well enough that they will believe it. Like like I'm just going to go you, go out you, there with what popped up. Yeah, but like I mean, let's say like. <laughs> I think you, you, you answered you, the question yourself a little bit because you told me about the study you wrote about the car crash, which is mm. a very out-of-everyday-life experience, being in a car crash. Um, there are also studies done uh, where people told the uh, participants that they got lost as a child in a supermarket, um, mm. things like that. Um, what you have to do to make it very vivid and believable is you have to attach different senses to it and you have to use everyday life experience okay i'm giving a little trigger warning because like i said i'm into fear play and i'm going to talk about dentists now and about about surgeries in a kinky context so please be aware if you're a little bit squeamish about that so good job yeah yep So, for example, uh, I had a session where I hypnotized my partner and I wanted him to experience me using him as a test subject in, you know, a surgical environment. This is what I said, where we lean into something uh, and heighten our relationship. I'm not going to drill his head open, but I wanted him to have that feeling. Um, (laughs) uh, This is who I am. Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah. Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> um, <sorry. laughs> well, um, going back to that, sorry. Of course, he has no connection to the feeling of getting his head drilled open. But what you can do is, for example, you can use experiences like usually people have been to the dentist and they know this vibration in their skull from a dentist working on their teeth. And you could use that. Then, for example, I used the, the memory of, you know, having bacon fry in a pan, which is very similar to flesh burning. And you can use that. And you can combine them, for example. <laughs> yes. you know, I'm not going to dive deeper into this, but I think you get the point. You just layer things yep. they already know, but you combine them in new ways that can create an experience that they never had before. It sounds like um, to do this, you would need a lot of uh, imagination and lateral thinking. Like it makes sense now that you've said those two things to, to, to make the third thing. It's like, you know, dentistry plus bacon frying equals I'm opening your skull. But like, in like now that I've said you've said that it makes sense, but like you're you're coming up with that. It's sort of like you're you're. It feels like there's this sort of an imagination, lateral thinking sort of situation that you'll have to do to be able to draw and then evoke. I mean, with hypnosis, I think there are different levels. Just like with bondage, for example, uh, you need to have your safety, you know, checked. You need to know what you can do and can't do anatomically same thing with hypnosis then you have to learn your basics same thing with hypnosis and then you can either watch other people tie and just tie it in exactly the same way without thinking about why that's how you tie 
and create mm. a beautiful harness. Or you can really dive deep into this and create your own patterns. Mm. And that is what I was talking about right now. This is advanced hypnosis, of course. But like I said, if you buy a book like Erotic Hypnosis um, from Mark Wiseman, there will be scripts provided for you. And this is like a baking recipe for hypnosis. And you can read it to someone. Yeah, it's it's the difference between maybe um, looking at like techniques versus principles. I, I'm, I'm a martial artist. Um, I've been training for years. And when people first start, it's like you do this technique and they follow exactly. You grab here, you do this, but they don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. And at least in my experience, the more advanced the practitioner gets, it sort of doesn't become about like follow the instructor exactly how they're doing it. It becomes, well, why why am I doing these things and how do those, how does that, that why connect to the 50 other things that are similar? And you're sort of drawing this pattern as opposed to mm-hmm. following it, following a rule book. Yes, right. It's, it's about, mm. you know, how a body is balanced and how you can make it get out of balance, for example. And that is something you can apply to hypnosis the same way. Like, how can you achieve a certain brainwave in a person? How can you make them go into a certain trans state for you? And there are multiple so- ways to achieve that, but you have to know the different techniques you could apply and to understand, like with your analogy, to understand your opponent and mm. see like which technique would be the best for this situation. See, see the analogy to to my practice with martial arts um, mm-hmm. has sort of opened up some of um, this desire here, and I, I feel maybe like tell me if I'm I'm wrong on this, but like I'll go to the gym and we just we play right, but the play ostensibly is working out how to control someone physically to the to the to either. Um, submit them, i.e. make them tap because they're going to choke, they're going to break, or it's to control them so they can't move. It depends on what your goal is, but we're playing. We're all going there. It's all consensual, but it's extremely fun to know that you can do this to another person. And it's it's mm-hmm. just like there's this level of satisfaction and gratification. It's like I go there and it's like, ooh, like there's, a, there's just something about it. It's like, look what I can do. Look what I'm doing. And it just feels good and like you know like most you know people people train or start training for different reasons but when you become hooked it's like it's just it's there's this sort of like this skill this artistry it's like how can i manipulate the opponent into a position of dominant uh, submission a position of control and mm-hmm. it sounds similar to like what you're, you're what you're describing but through through a different lens of um <laughs> of control if that makes sense yes and i would go even further because what happens is because you have this martial arts experience of basically hurting people, you, <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. You, Follow me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> they are already hooked. I mean, <laughs> they love you. Um, but that makes you feel more safe and helps mm. you to make other people feel safe around you. Right. And it's the same way with, for example, my emotional sadism, because the ability to spot vulnerability in another person mm-hmm. also on the flip side makes me very empathic and able to make people safe mm. you you have the power and it's uh it's up to you how you use said power like i said before it's a tool and you can mm. use it however you want 
and that that's the interesting thing like we all we all train and there's this sort of like um in there's a whole jiu-jitsu meme space as well but it's Mm -hmm. like um (laughs) if once you train you get this knowledge that like you've got this like superpower effectively that and it like it makes you feel safe around like i don't feel like i used to feel prior to training unsafe in certain situations but now it's like i've just got this knowledge that I'm okay. And I can look after my friends. I can look after my family. And you just sort of have this sort of understanding of the world in a way that you, you don't have until you reach a certain point of training. Cause you just sort of understand how, how to fight effectively, but it's, it's more than yeah. just like, I can beat you up. It's like a, it's a confidence thing. It's a, it's a way the world works. And you're sort of seeing insights into through that lens into other areas of, of life. Mm. It's, it's, it's quite a lot deeper than just, learning how to fight it's 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 almost spiritual in a sense yes absolutely and i think that's also how i perceive like when my partner resists in a not hypnotic way but in our relationship it's Mm. basically like to run with martial arts it's like um i did a forbidden move maybe or he did a forbidden move and we have to you know assess the situation and be like oh wow what happened there was this a mistake or did you just not get the rules right um are you just clumsy today do we have to change our schedule for today you know you just have to stop for a moment and see what happened here and Mm -hmm. usually you wouldn't um you wouldn't assume that the other person wanted to you know give you a black eye in that moment but it's just you know, collateral damage that can happen when you are Mm. um, doing such extreme sports. And it's the same with our power dynamic, you know. Mm. Sometimes things just go wrong because of circumstances, because maybe um, we are not our best selves or maybe because we're just not in the mindset we have to be for that practice. Um, Or sometimes you also just get triggered in the sense of the word. For example, being in such a submissive state can very much resemble being a child again. Hmm. And I'm not talking about age play. I'm talking about you have to ask for things that you usually do on your own. And that's something that last happened in your childhood. You know, asking somebody, you know, if you can go to the toilet or asking somebody um, if you're allowed to take a shower. That might trigger, you know, memories from being a teenager, for example. And you're just throwing a temper tantrum. And you're like, why do I have to ask for this now? And that's a moment, you know, to again do this check-in and be like, oh, are you really upset about the rule that we established together and that we both thought would be great for us? Or is this just a moment that pisses you off because you have a certain um, Hmm. memory or because your day went in a particular way and we hadn't the chance to catch up? You see, that's Hmm. how I would would, um, solve that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, this is absolutely fascinating. This topic. I, there's so many, like, so many questions that I that I that I have, and I'm I'm, I'm aware we're coming up on time. I don't want to take yes, up too I much time. I don't. Maybe maybe. Like, 
is he doing a double episode now? <laughs> you got the German efficiency. You're noting the time. You're like, oh, well, look, it's it's a loose it's a loose ninety to to one twenty minutes. Um, don't don't stress. We're not we're not we're not uh we're not like on the clock exactly efficient here. Um, it's okay, <laughs> and you know, so we're, we're all good. We're stressed. <laughs> um, I wanna I wanna ask um get into one more aspect of this and then I'll give you a chance to sort of tie up any loose ends that you feel like we haven't or add any extra little sort of parting words. Um, what I wanted to to sort of question on or, or draw down upon is we're, we're playing with or you're playing with a, um, you know, like trance states with like states of consciousness and that sort of stuff. Like I've, I've played whilst um, inebriated, drunk or on drugs, right? Or either myself both of us or just them. And, you know, if you give certain drugs to certain people and you play in a certain way, it puts them in different headspaces. Um, maybe they're more physiologically um, sensitive or, may, you know, like there's, you know, inebriation issue, like, you know, like um, uh, they're, they're less inhibited. You know, it depends on the drug, depends on who you're with and who's taking what. Is there is there an analogy or a space connection between that the what you play with drugs and um, and maybe you can go down either path of this. Is there an interplay between inebriation, any sort of drug, with the hypnosis play? Can you can you layer like um, drug or alcohol consumption on top of that um, yeah. <laughs> to, to get some extra bonuses? <laughs> okay, I think this is I think this is very funny because here we see how differently kingsters perceive danger and safety. Mm. So, for example, a lot of people tell me like. Capria, how can you turn your partner who did not like feet before into a foot fetishist? This is unethical. And here I am and thinking like, oh, you're playing whilst intoxicated? That is unethical. <laughs> you see? Like, yes. So funny. Mm. Um, but from from my personal standpoint, I would never advise you to do that. But the reason I'm not advising it is because it can heighten your suggestibility by a lot. Mm. Um, so the influence of drugs in general, I'm not going to give you exact advice which drug is the best. I'm not, I'm not after that. I'm, just, and I'm yeah. not going to make a drug commercial out of this. <laughs> there are certain drugs that can ramp up the efficiency and the power of hypnotic suggestions. This is also something that was used in therapeutic settings before. Um, mm. Make your own research if you're interested in that, because for me, that's unsafe. Mm. Also unnecessary, because if you are in a really deep trance state, it feels like one would assume an LSD trip is like. Mm. It, it can be so trippy. It can be so ramped up because what I talked about before is like, okay, you feel aroused by touching my foot. That's very real life, very grounded. But you could do something like I mentioned before, a session where you imagine you are, uh, you know, in a surgical setting and somebody drills up your head. And what I did in that session, I was um, rewiring his brain and I turned his pain and his lust and neurons around. So he would feel arousal by pain. He's not a masochist usually, you know, 
And that's very trippy, right? Mm. Make it even more trippy by combining things that have nothing to do with each other. Like imagine a castle made out of strawberries that taste like cotton candy. You know, you can get go so wild with this if you want that. How, how do you return to a state of normalcy after this? Because I feel like it, it does that like it does feel like a drug trip, a rewiring, like like a um I don't know, like like I, I'm like maybe this is why the psychologist suggested to me to not like play in this space uh, haphazardly. But it's like like I'm my, my goal is to like I wanna be like my brain sort of dissociates naturally. So I wanna be like Mm-hmm. Like my my goal with a lot of my sort of self care is to like be you know present because my brain takes me in weird spaces automatically and it's yeah. like I, I'm 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 just feeling I'm like how how do you how do you come back to to reality after having your your mm-hmm. um your brain brain rewired you know yeah that is an amazing point to make um I think you already said it our brain does space out and change its normal state all the time. Um, You are getting in and out of different brainwaves all day. Um, Spacing out is something we do all the time. Concentrating on something is something we do all the time. So getting in and out of trance is usually not something unusual for your brain to do. The only thing is you're not used to that intensity necessarily. And the things you can do to ground yourself in reality are basically the same that um, you would use to ground yourself after a drug trip or when you dissociate. There is a perfect technique, in my opinion, that is called the Betty Erickson induction. But you can also use it the other way around. It's usually used to take your focus inward but you can also use it to take your focus outward. I'm going to just explain the outward now because this is how you can ground yourself when you're in your head and you're still lingering, right? So what you do is you think, what is what are, what are is one thing that I can see with my eyes right now? What is one thing I can hear right now? What is one thing my body can feel right now? And then you go up, like, what are two things I can see right now? What are two things I can hear right now? What are two things my body can feel in that moment? And that is how you open your focus and you get back grounded in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can also do it the other way around when you're very overwhelmed by your surroundings, right? If you're having a panic attack or something like that. You can just do it the other way around. You can make it smaller and smaller until there's only one thing you hear and one thing you feel and so on. That is for That's example. a really good practice. I've I yeah, I've 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 dabbled in that from like it's like a present state awareness meditation. It's it's yeah, what can I what are my senses getting me? Um and I like I like that idea of opening up. I haven't heard it described with that sort of like starting with one and then two and sort of expanding expanding yourself that's really cool um i might i might have a have a little look into the uh you've given me a few little resources to check into um yes. <laughs> yeah this is this has been a fascinating conversation i'm i've i've got i don't know my brain's going a million miles miles an hour now i might have to uh as 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 we've uh, discussed it probably would be right um <laughs> now's the perfect time um <laughs> um Please, if is there any um, any aspects that we haven't come back to that 
you wanted to to, to close off um, or anything that you wanted to elaborate upon before we before we sign off? No, I think I'm very happy with our conversation. Um, and if you or anybody else has questions for me, you can find me on Instagram right now. I'm um, with the same name. I'm Capriya.nox. And um, yeah, just check out my page. I'm going to ramble about hypnosis and about being a femdom there. And I'm always open for questions. Yeah, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes um, so you can click click straight through to that. Um, I'm I'm fascinated. I might I might do um, have a bunch of follow up questions and maybe at some future state we can jump on and um we can go deep. Maybe after I've read um erotic hypnosis and uh, had a little bit of an explore down some of these paths, we can um have a, have a round two where I've got some even more in depth questions <laughs> because it's um sure. I've I've always had this sort of like fascination with uh with hypnosis but like sort of like a, a skepticism and then with the warning there's this, there's a lot of space there but i also like the idea of it too combined with like um just just society's general uh ability to um you know like advertisements is is a form of you know that p- people are trying to get you to do things all the time and it's sort of like i want to be i don't want to be pulled unless it's by choice you know if i'm with a partner i want to be pulled by her into a into a into an erotic space i want to be open to that i want to be as in that space as possible but when i um turn on my phone and um you know some some something advertises to me it's like i don't want to be pulled by that space so it's like that there's a there's there's a lot of um life applicability beyond Mm -hmm. just the the kinky realm that um i feel like that, that we can explore and that's something you really learn when you dive deep into hypnosis there's something we call subject agency which is exactly about that. It's about what kind of influence do I want and what am I going to reject? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's like mental fortitude. It's the uh, the, the, the mental jujitsu to, to stop the world. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into this. Thank you so much. Like I said, I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes um, and you can follow along and um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can um, have another chat sometime. Thank you so much. I would love that. Ah, yay! <laughs> Just want to give a super special thank you to Miss Capri and Knox. As you can tell, I had a amazing time on this episode. It's absolutely fascinating. I wanted to dig into the ethical side of this sort of play. I haven't had a dom on the podcast before, and I've definitely not had a hypnodom on the podcast. So the ethics of consent, of power of personality change and what it means to be safe was something that I hope I did justice. I really appreciate how slow she's taken her relationship and the care and consideration she has for her sub and the safeguards she puts in place. At some stage, I hope to have her back on the podcast after I've read some of the resources she gave. So if you have any questions or follow-ups that you would like to ask her, please message me and I'll ask. And if you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor of the podcast, please connect with me via email or via social media and let me know what you can bring to the podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is rate and review it and recommend it to someone. You can also grab a copy of Kink Volume 1. It's a BDSM-inspired short fiction and poetry collection. The ebook is just a couple of bucks, and I narrate the audiobook. You can also become a Patreon By signing up to the $5 per month tier, you get early access to all of the episodes, 
you'll also get access to the Kinky Community Discord channel, as well as exclusive access to any outtakes and the sultry sound bites. These are just short talks around sex and sexuality. There's a whole bunch of bonuses exclusive to Patreon supporters on that $5 per month tier. And finally, if you want to connect with me, if you want to see my books, my blogs, my other podcasts, all of the things I've got going on, head over to my website, zachary-phillips.com, or check me out on the Reality Check podcast and the Abundance Mentality podcasts. I'm going to leave you with the short story from Kink, Volume 1. Have a great day. Reading my mind. A part of me hated that he could read my mind. Another, much larger part of me, loved it. Like how he knew when to put his hands around my neck, and the exact amount of strength that he should squeeze. When I wanted him to throw me onto the bed, and tell me in no uncertain terms exactly how I was going to pleasure him. And that I was going to enjoy every minute of doing so. He was right, and it was infuriating. Before we got together, my sex life was lackluster at best. A string of young, inexperienced lovers, barely able to last long enough to get me wet, let alone get me off. They were too nervous, too cautious, too selfish. They acted all confident in the club, letting me know exactly how they would make my toes curl. But when it came down to it, they spectacularly failed to deliver. Mind you, it wasn't all their fault. I didn't know what I wanted either. I knew I was attracted to confidence, but I didn't realise how far that confidence was extended. Not until the first night we slept together, that is. With an experienced hand, he explored my body and moved my hands onto his. He moved me where he wanted, and told me what to do. My God, what a turn-on. I was surprised at how receptive my body was to his. Until he came along, I always viewed myself as confident and in control. I was proud of my independence, and liked to be in charge. I couldn't have been more wrong. He simply took control, but not in a selfish way. Despite telling me in no uncertain terms what I would do to him, he was always checking in to ensure that I was enjoying it. Both with his words, but mainly with his eyes. I could feel him mindfully watching me respond and making small adjustments, giving me exactly what I wanted, even before I consciously became aware of it. Unlike the others who would rush to the finish, this man took his time. He would make me beg for it, and to my chagrin, the begging made it even hotter. Very quickly, he became my go-to fuck. After a stressful day at work, we would play. I surrendered all control to him, and he took me however he liked. Every time he told me I was a good girl, I could have melted. Afterward, he would hold me, asking questions about our session, probing me for what I liked and what I wanted more of. I know he couldn't really read my mind, but in bed, it felt like he could. He knew when to push, and when to pull back. He knew my hard limits, and when my nose really meant, do it, but I want it to be your idea. He gave me the space to explore the deeper side of my sexuality, 
he opened me up to what I really desired. He showed me aspects of myself that until then I hadn't dared to give more than a passing thought to. He helped me to find other men who were like him. Men who knew what they wanted and were not afraid to take it. Men who could walk the fine line between dominance and desire. But despite my sex life improving, he was still the best. He could get inside my mind like no other man could. I still get hot remembering the night we went for a walk in the park. He told me to wear a long skirt with nothing underneath and to meet him by the entrance gate. Of course I acquiesced. It was a clear, moonless night. The stars gave me just enough light to see the focus in his eyes as he looked me all over. As we walked, we talked. About everything and nothing. He would randomly pull me in close and feel me up. Then just as quickly, he would let me go. He teased me this way for what felt like an eternity. I tried begging him to take me. I tried teasing him by lifting my dress, and I tried feeling him up. But he was having none of it. I was so wet, I could have screamed. By this time, we had almost done the circuit of the park, and I was getting frustrated. It'd be just like him to tease me so, and leave me hanging. He'd done it before. Got me super horny, and just left. Not before telling me to feel myself playing with myself, and then to send it to him. He told me I'd find it hot. And of course, I did. But that night, I wanted him, inside me, then and there. At that moment, he grabbed me by the hand and pulled me into a clearing, pushed me onto the ground, and lifted my skirt. He was rock hard, and instantly inside me. I couldn't move. I couldn't escape. Not that I wanted to. I didn't take long. We were quick, and I was loud. That was the first time I'd been fucked in public. A part of me hated that he unlocked another kink. But another, much larger part of me, loved it. <laughs>